WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. We're always trying to think of ways to improve technology. For example, there are ways that we can improve electric grids. We can even turn it into a smart electric grid. Today we're here talking to Gregory Hess about his research on smart electric grids. Thanks for joining us today, Gregory. May you please tell us more about yourself and your research? Yeah, thank you, Chelsea. So I myself am someone who did a lot of computer work, a lot of computer network work in, in utilities. I've since moved into the PhD program here at Michigan State and took that experience as a way and an opportunity to return back to that field with uh, technology that was going to help us. It was going to help us keep the electrical grid safer from a security standpoint and help keep it up more for the people out there who use electricity, which is all of us. Nice to meet you, Greg. For the audience, they may not know what an electric grid is. Could you define that? And what type of electric grid are you working with? An electric grid that I'm talking about is a grid that distributes electricity from the source of generation, right? So it could be a coal plant, it could be a wind farm, it could be anything that sourced, right? But it would be something owned by a utility because it's going to be regulated by the government. And then it, the lines, the poles that carry that electricity to you are part of a distribution system. Electricity gets put out in great big amounts and then it gets cycled down for use in your home. And it's done usually at what we call a a substation. So a substation is a collection of what we call transformers, but it's just basically a way of taking large voltage and bringing it down to the level that you use in an ordinary house and then delivering it to the house there over, you know, those same wires. So in these substations, these transformers are converting the current from high voltage to a lower voltage that you said is appropriate for households. Is that dangerous? And are there certain safety precautions that the people working there have to take or the people building the substations? So there is a lot of safety concerns, right? When, especially when you talk about high voltage. If you're an electrician, you have a very large amount of training and speciality to even work around high voltage. Before you enter a substation, there's a safety meeting called a tailgate you're almost always escorted by not only an electrician, but an electrician in the employment of the utility who knows the substation. You have to be substation safety check. There's, there's tremendous concern about that because even though those high voltage wires are high and out of the way, they have to come down to the transformers right within the substation and touching those if you don't know what you're doing right carries possibly lethal consequences. So safety is a paramount concern, and that's a large part of my research. So substations have gear in them that more and more, right, as, as time goes on, they, the gear gets smarter. It's electrical in nature. It's electronic in nature. They're like little computers that are reading system statuses from the substation all the time, and they're reacting in a way to try and keep the substation environment safe, to try and keep the, the electricity flowing over those wires to your house going. And the faster they can react, the better and the more safe we can make those computer systems, then the more safe the electrical grid is. Working in a nuclear facility, I completely understand this idea for the need of an intense safety culture. We constantly have people walking around making sure that nothing is out of place, and that includes radiation sources as well. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your research now. How do you exactly study the safety of these electrical grids? 
Well, from a technology standpoint, the safety of the electrical grid comes about through these sensors and computers that are placed along these lines that carry the electricity, and and a lot of the computer equipment is housed in these substations. So my focus has been on what they call the the protective equipment in these substations. And and really what that is in the past, before the kind of the smart revolution within utilities, these substations contained these protective relays. And what they did was they sensed uh, large changes in voltage on the line that might damage equipment or bring down power for people, or even worse, right? You could potentially have fires or, or things kind of popping And they would react to that by cutting off power to certain areas, by opening and closing in a way that stops the flow of electricity or allows it on another circuit. The problem with this was that it was very intensive to keep these operational from a capital standpoint because they all had to be directly connected within a certain distance in order for them to get the signals fast enough to operate. As we've seen this revolution within the utility industry towards smart protective relays, they became computers, which allowed them to do a lot more analysis of the signals they were receiving. And it, and it gave a lot more options for these systems to react other than just power on, power off. And so that's been my focus is how can we make the computer networks that feed these devices as reliable as possible and as safe as possible from tampering or hacking? That reminds me of last year when a Florida water plant was hacked and then the hacker actually changed the different concentrations of chemicals in the water for the public. Afterwards, they had changed their security system. And it sounds to me that the biggest safety concern of these substations is cybersecurity. What are ways that you're working to improve the cybersecurity of these substations? Where my research is concentrated at is inside these substations, you have these little computer networks, and it ties together the equipment within the substation, and it's also the place which these substations, the computer communications go beyond the walls of the substation, either back to like an electrical operation center or to another substation. In the past, utilities security was bought about because a lot of things weren't connected to anything else. So these networks sat by themselves or they were very, very small. And so therefore, they kind of operated in a very legacy way of technology. So very kind of early 1990s technology. What happened around 2005 to 10 was they began connecting these things to more modern networks. And the systems there, when you talk about the Florida water incident, there's been a lot of those incidents because when you connect these older computer networks to modern computer networks, they have all the flaws that old computer networks had in the 90s and they're being exposed to modern hacking technology. And so they're very quick to be compromised. They're very quick to be hacked. And so FERC, which is a part of the federal government that regulates the security here, passed a set of rules through an organization called NERC, called the NERC SIP standards. And, And what these standards do is they provide a detail of how you secure these things to be in compliance, because the number one concern when auditing electrical substations for the past several years has been the cybersecurity, that someone would be compromised and the electrical grid would be compromised through the use of these computers operating this equipment. So my research focuses inside the substation to those smaller networks and and to provide a, a new level of security that hasn't been really introduced yet and to show that that security can be successful. 
Something I'd like to do offline is understand how different energy systems can work to create electrical grids, but one thing that's considered all the time are the vulnerabilities of these systems. And you mentioned it as well, a little bit about how some of these old computers carry some of the flaws that they had before. How do you ensure that the system that you're testing for the security doesn't have any vulnerabilities that could be exposed? That, that's an excellent question, and it really kind of goes to the heart of what I'm doing here. So a lot of the equipment in these substations is built to last longer than normal computer-type electrical equipment, right? It's got these lifespans of maybe 20 years of expectation in them. And in 20 years, a lot can happen, right? There's a lot of flaws that become exposed and a lot of vulnerabilities that become exposed. And then people write programs to attack those things. And, you know, so right now in the world, there's a lot of concern, right, with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, that there might be some kind of retaliation at the U.S. electrical grid from hackers from foreign entities. And, and so it's hard to go out and refresh that equipment and the electrical grid often enough to protect against those vulnerabilities. But what you can do is you can come back to the network that connects all that equipment and you can place the security in there. The protection of the end devices from tampering is no longer uh, a threat that you're able to protect that equipment as that signal rides across that wire and through that computer network then the protection of the equipment becomes a much less of a concern. And so where my research focuses is the idea of this intelligent network that takes into account the end device that's connected, takes into account where that device should be talking to, how it should be talking, and it adjusts if something happens on that network that's trying to talk to that device that shouldn't be, that talking in a way that it shouldn't be to shut down any of those tampering effects. So uh, a big part of this is allowing the networks to view that traffic going through and protect the equipment that might be very old from a very progressive, very modern computer network standpoint. That's really interesting. It makes sense, though, that you want to continuously modernize technology and protect us from future cybersecurity threats. So worst case scenario, if something were to happen to these substations, is there a backup plan? A lot of the compliance efforts around the NERC-SIP regulations deal with redundant paths, redundant network connectivity, so that if you lose connection, that there's still some means for communications to flow. And by and large, those work very well. These communications are things like anything from the ability for someone in the substation to call somewhere to equipment to send signals to other substations via an alternate path. Where we have issue is when you have protection equipment that has to respond very quickly to an event that's being communicated to it by sensors or by foreign computer systems. Sometimes you get an interruption in that network, that network alternate path, that redundant communication path has to be available within what we call sub-millisecond timing. So your average computer network that you're operating on right now for this conversation, if it's got redundancy and that redundancy were to be interrupted, you could look at maybe a two to 300 millisecond time it would take for that backup path to be realized. Two to 300 times too long for the equipment that I'm working with. And so one of the advantages of these smart networks and these kind of deterministic pathing that we can create through the technology um, of a software or an intent-based network is that that healing can take place within that millisecond so that that equipment can react in that very, very low convergence time to keep the grid safe, to keep it running. 
It's really great that these new healing systems are being put into place in these substations. However, when it comes to these smart devices, they usually have to rely on internet. How would the substation's performance be impacted if some sort of disaster were to take place and knock out the Wi-Fi? That's, that's another good observation. So you're right in that when you have a system that's this smart, they need to communicate back to like some kind of central control point. Because a lot of the advantages you get from are the fact that this central control point can be out there monitoring, updating, changing policies and rules almost on the fly in a way that allows these things to continuously be safe in the face of new things being introduced to the system, new threats, new whatever hacking attempts. You've got to allow for the fact that sometimes a substation could be isolated, that it might have no communications outside of itself. So the system that I've been testing and looking at is basically the idea is when it's cut off from communications from another place, it operates on the the last known good operating way in which it sends communications between the devices. So one thing is if you're orphaned from the rest of the world, you don't really have to worry about a hacking attempt anywhere except inside the substation. And since cutting off from the outside world locks it into a state that it was before the substation was cut off, a hacking attempt inside the substation becomes virtually useless because it's only going to accept the communications that were already from what we call a taxonomy standard acceptable and everything else is going to be rejected. This is actually a huge improvement over the way they operate right now. Right now, a substation being cut off isn't a big deal, but somebody inside the substation very easily bypasses almost all of the network security within the substation. So this is one of the big parts of this research is this is something that right now is protected from a physical standpoint. I've got security cameras and I got a locked gate and such like that. I've got motion sensors. But this makes it virtually impossible for even an actor locally right there within the substation to compromise the system. For your research, are you focusing on one particular substation or are you observing multiple substations? That's been one of the most fun parts of the research. So there's a few utilities I've been talking to that are interested in implementing this. They're very interested in how this research comes out. There's also a few of the computer network equipment vendors that are very interested in this. So When I first started this, I started with using my experience in the utility space. I'm going to kind of create a lab substation, for lack of a better term. For people out there that are interested in a career in IT, consider utilities. The IT stuff, it's unique and it's fascinating. So substations have a lot of their own computer network protocols and languages. They have a lot of their own considerations. It's very fascinating. But anyhow, I use that to create virtual substation equipment. I had a couple of interested computer network vendors, Cisco and Schweitzer Engineering Labs, that were willing to donate some very nice smart equipment for me to look at and utilize as a lab. I conducted my experiments on both in the lab, was able to obtain the things I wanted to, which was, is it as or more secure than current technology? Yes. And can I reach that sub-millisecond operational convergence or, or, or the network to heal super quick? Yes. So using that, I wrote it up and discuss with some people in the utility space. The next step is the conversations that are going on now. So finding a few places to implement this, improve it works in actual operation out in the field. That to me is the most exciting part and the, and the timing's good because we're moving into the spring and summer months when I want to be out in a substation doing this work. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. 
You know, something that you had said got me thinking a little bit about how the summer months are coming up, actually. And that made me think about how a lot of advanced technology these days usually has to rely on cool temperatures. Are the smart technologies in these substations regulated, or are they able to withstand the increasing temperatures of climate change and global warming? So that, to me, is one of the really fun parts about this. Substations have their own... There's an organization out there called IEEE that publishes a lot of standards for electrical standards, right? Everywhere from the shape of your plug to how a transformer works, all that. So they've got what they call out there substation rated electronic equipment. And what it is, equipment that can withstand the rigors of a substation. So the hub you might have in your house or the computer network switch that you might have at at your workplace would never survive, you know, the 120 degree high or the minus 20 degree low. But the substation rated equipment will, and it's really neat stuff. So they have to go through tremendous things, especially when it comes to heat, to allow that heat distribution when you've got all this compute power kind of packed into a little box like that. And you can't have any moving parts, right? Because moving parts can fail and then they'll overheat. So they have to distribute all this heat without fans, without water cooling. So it's a really interesting part of this is the physical nature of this computer network equipment. The stuff I have in the lab is the stuff that you would use at a substation. So I've been able to really play with that. And I play some of it in substations when I worked at a utility. So they are designed for very rugged conditions. Having said that, they still have the same weakness that some electronics have, right? If you get a big power surge, if you get a lot of foreign material in them, a lot of dirt, corrosion, uh, a lot of water, you know, gets on them, things like that do compromise them. And that's where that redundancy aspect and that fast healing aspect really pays off because it allows the backup equipment to take over and alert the operation center so people can get out there and get that redundancy restored. This has been really interesting to learn about substations and about these smart electric grids. Before we go, Greg, what are things that you want to do for the future and ways that you think that you can continue to improve these substations and smart electric grids? For me, this is the fascinating part. So the great thing about extreme cases or edge cases when you're doing research like this. So right now I've got a very small network in a very specific situation where I'm trying to do some things that that haven't really been done. But the interesting thing is that the story of computer networks is once I can do it on a small network in a specific situation, you begin to find ways to do it on a lot of other networks and a lot of more general situations. So think about the idea of the networks that run not just substations, but all of utilities or even all of businesses having this kind of intelligence, this ability to thwart off hacking attempts, this ability to be looking out for the devices that use the networks so that the devices don't always have to fend for themselves. Think about networks that could heal two to 300 times faster so that you don't even know when there's been a network interruption. So to me, the next logical steps are We're going to prove it in this extreme case, and then we're going to use that as a way to move this technology into the more general commodity back office networks where most of us live and and do our business. Well, it sounds like the future is really bright when it comes to these smart technologies and implementing them within substations to help make sure that everybody has power. Thank you so much, Gregory, for talking to us about your work, and good luck with the rest of it. Thank you both very much for your for your questions. Thank you for this opportunity. This has been very interesting for me, and, and I hope it was interesting for the people out there. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. 
To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.